You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the founder and CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors. We are a PR firm that specializes in music and technology. And we're coming back to a little mini-series we've been doing on Music Tectonics about remote collaboration ever since the uh, COVID-19 lockdown. That was something that we just wanted to dig into and, and see what use cases were emerging and also what kind of options and platforms there are. So I'm really excited today. I have with me the CEO of Jam Kazam, David Wilson. David, how are you doing? Great, Dimitri, and thanks for having me. Yeah, and so you're calling in from uh, warm Austin, Texas, where you're based. Is that right? Indeed. It's blazing here today. <laughs> All right. Well, it's great to have you. We'll try to try to get through this in the coolest fashion we can. Um, so anyone who doesn't know, Jam Kazam is an online collaboration platform that lets musicians play together live from different locations at the same time. It can be used for jam sessions, live performances to audiences, meeting up with like-minded musicians for collaboration, and music lessons. It uses both video and audio. And you guys have a desktop app, some interface hardware, and a community platform. Platform. You can tell us more about it. But before we go into detail, am I missing anything at the high level? Did I did I nail it pretty well? You really did. I think uh, you know one thing to note is we do have a specialized piece of interface hardware, but almost everyone on the system plays with just industry standard stuff that they already have. And um, I think the other uh, the other thing I would mention is um, it's also used uh, quite a bit for multi track recording. Um, and we have also one other kind of a distinct product within the portfolio that's called Jam Tracks. And that's a catalog of about 4,000 popular songs um, that are recorded and made available as multi-tracks. And that lets you easily play along with your favorite bands and songs as well. Gotcha. Cool, cool, cool. That makes sense. So I heard about Jam Kazam when I was starting to do these um, interviews on the the podcast because I was just looking at you know social media and, and researching. And whenever somebody said, well, what do you do if you want to jam like in real time remotely through live stream what do you do about the the latency issue what's the best platform for that and jam kazam kept coming up so it seems like jamming and collaborating in real time is kind of a, a popular use case for jam kazam is that, is that correct most definitely that's like the most popular thing people do on the platform I would I would say it is you know even even prior to COVID happening um, that was that was kind of the core use case that we built it for in the first place and so it's very heavily used for that. All right, so if somebody's never done that before, explain how it works. Well, I, I mean, basically, um, to play together, uh, each musician needs to have either a Windows or a Mac computer to run the Jam Kazam application. It's a desktop application. It doesn't run on things like iPhones and such. Mm -hmm. um, you would also need a broadband internet connection. And there, uh, we strongly recommend that you connect your computer to your home router with an Ethernet cable rather than using right. Wi-Fi, um, which is just best for any real-time streaming kind of application. And then finally, for best results, we recommend strongly that uh, that uh, that musicians use an audio interface, and that converts your analog audio from your instrument and your voice into digital format for the computer to process. Mm -hmm. So, um, so Jam Kazam works with most industry standard audio interfaces that have kind of traditionally been used for home recording, and uh, and that's really pretty much all you need. Um, then everybody. Uh, uses the application to jump into a session together. You can get into private sessions where it's just you and your bandmates, or you can get into public sessions um, and just meet people and have kind of musical experiences and adventures along the way. 
Right. So I'm, I mean, everyone's using Zoom now. Are they basically looking at a screen and seeing everybody that's participating and then also hearing them in real time? That's pretty much the, the format, right? That's the gist. Um, I think if you get a lot of musicians in a session, they tend to turn video off uh, just because it's a peer-to-peer streaming app. And um, and if you're streaming too much video, it can interfere with the audio. Mm. Um, and so, uh, and really, you know, while there's visual cues when playing music and things, uh, pretty much people are playing just by ear on the app. So the, the video portion is nice just because uh, it, it feels more social. And also if you're gonna live broadcast yourself to you know, an audience, you, you definitely wanna be using video. Gotcha, okay. So um, I like what you said about the ethernet cable because um, I, I, it seems like we've been sold on the myth that Wi-Fi is so fast now, you don't even need ethernet. Yeah. And now that everybody's doing video conferencing, video takes a lot of bandwidth. Um, I, it really does make a difference if you plug in your ethernet cable to your router instead of just relying on even the fastest Wi-Fi routers. And I'm actually curious, um, people are so excited about the, the coming of 5G and I'm curious if it's a similar thing where, yeah, it's definitely better than 4G. At, like, like a lot better, but for some of these emerging use cases, it's still you know tough to see how this is going to work across multiple cell phone towers and satellites and oceans and all this thing. It just these things take time to tr- to travel. So, um, but but you know it does raise the question for me that I've been so curious about Jam Kazam, and really the main reason that I wanted to interview David is. What do you do about latency when you're, I mean, it's, it's collaboration is uh, the, the metronome basis of, of, or at least being in the same time as who you're collaborating with. And you have this, you know, you always have some sort of latency. How does that work on Jam Kazam and why is it, um, why are you more successful than some of the other platforms for doing this? Well, that's a good question. And latency definitely is, is tough. And the, it, the combination of reducing latency uh, sufficiently and keeping audio quality high is, is really the rub. Um, mm. so, you know, people have been trying to, to hammer at this problem since I think the first thing I'm aware of was rocket network, you know, back in the, in at, literally in the nineties, which I can't believe, you know, somebody tried to, to solve for this in the nineties, but, um, because the enabling technologies just weren't there, you know, and, mm-hmm. and frankly, even where we hit it, you know, a few years ago, we were early and I think, you know, things are just kind of catching up to it now, but, but in terms of getting latency down, you know, you can just to make it kind of simple, um, you know, music travels when you're sitting together in a room, music travels about one foot in a millisecond. So if you are, say, sitting, you know, 25 or 20 feet away from somebody in a room and playing music together, that would give you an experience with about 20 to 25 milliseconds of latency. And if you want to know what that feels like, that's one way to achieve that. Just sit about that far apart and play together, right? Mm. Um, And so, you know, Jamkazam is really just kind of you know, kind of playing an arbitrage game on the fact that the backbone of the internet moves at, you know, something closer to the speed of light, which is about 100 miles in a millisecond instead of one foot. And so while it seems surreal that it could even work, you know, it, it can work. Um, what, we've, what we've done to date is really focus on the two endpoints of the experience and take audio processing latency through a combination of uh, software and hardware innovations and take that down as low as we can drive that. Um, but, and then ultimately the, the internet connection between you where, where the audio actually transits the internet itself, uh, we use, we've used traditionally just simple peer-to-peer streaming. And so you kind of get what you get. And so, um, 
So there your mileage varies and, you know, some bands can play together, you know, just incredibly tight sessions. Um, and then others, you know, it's just the latency is too much and it just doesn't work well. Hmm. Um, so it depends on a combination of physical distance, but not just physical distance, but also the route path of the Internet itself um, that you happen to get from each musician to the other musician in a session. Um, so if you really want to take the whole problem and solve it in the biggest possible way, you really have to get both of the endpoints, kind of all the endpoints of, of each connection and go get at the internet transit and that latency itself in the middle. So I've, I was curious, is there some sort of tempo keeper that somehow is able to, to, to travel with less latency and then get delivered in real time to both sides of it? But that's not how it works, really. It's really more about just feeling the swing and going with it. It is. Um, you know, our goal and the way we've been going at this since the beginning is just that you can play by ears if you're sitting in the same room. Um, we did... We did uh, build an interesting uh, feature, and it's something that was a nice innovation into the product called the distributed metronome, mm-hmm. and that that does help when there's higher latency, um, because it it basically will sync the clocks on all the computers in the session to kind of a universal clock, and then play kind of play a click back to everybody, you know, in the session. So that if you're playing to that click, you're playing in sync. Mm-hmm. But still, if people don't sound in sync. It just falls apart. It, it won't work. Yeah, because you can't listen to the metronome um, and your collaborator at the same time and know where you are. Correct. And so ultimately, you know, we found if you can keep late total latency in the session under 20 milliseconds, people can play just about anything. Um, mm. If you get kind of in the 20 to 30 kind of millisecond range, it's still, you know, it's still really good. If you get between 30 and 40, it's okay, you know, kind of manageable. And if you get over 40, you know, I think the wheels start really coming off pretty quickly. You know, we've seen bands play with higher latency. Like we had a, we hosted a Jam Kazam music festival about three weeks ago now and had eight bands play 30 minute sets together in that festival. And the, the band that was in Detroit, I remember, you know, their latency to each other was 40 to 45 milliseconds. So it was really pushing the high end and you can look at that. You can watch that video because it, it was DVR'd on YouTube and it's still up on our Jam Kazam channel. And you can see, like, you're still able to play together, but it will, like, you wouldn't want to play super, something super high tempo, you know. Um, right. Yeah. I could see um, maybe an ambient group would do really well without, oh, yeah. <laughs> without worrying about it. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. Um, so what other use cases are most common for Jam Kazam? I know there's talk on the website about music lessons. You mentioned performing live. There's also talk on the website about actually finding other bandmates. What, which of those comes next after just collaboration and jamming? Um, well, I'd say music lessons have been coming on really strongly lately, and that's been driven by COVID, you know, as, as, mm-hmm. you know, as social distancing has been pretty much required. Um, trying to do music lessons for anybody who's tried to do that on Zoom or Skype is really painful. Um, the audio quality is just not there, and teacher and student cannot play together at all. You can, just cannot play in sync on those, on those services. Um, so that's, that's been coming on pretty strong. And then um, live broadcasting, I think, has come on pretty strong too lately. It's been really interesting there because we just introduced um, and released a live broadcast feature about five weeks ago, which is why we held the music festival like just a couple of weeks after we released that into beta. Um, And what's been fascinating there is just that that service has taken what's been happening really kind of quietly behind the scenes for years now on Jam Kazam. And 
and kind of brought it out into the light. Um, so that's been a lot of fun to watch. Um, and again, I think if you want to take a look at what that looks like, you can go to the Jam Kazam YouTube channel and watch our music festival that was hosted on May 30th there. Um, and really, I'd suggest going to about the one hour and 35 minute mark. There's a there's a prog rock band that was really technical. They're from the New York, New Jersey area. And uh, if you watch them play, you can get a, a real sense of, you know, the live sync and what's possible in these sessions. It was pretty amazing. And what distinguishes Jam Kazam from just Zoom or, or some regular webinar product for um, for for like an actual performance of a live stream? Um, t- tons of things, honestly, and kind of too numerous to, ma- to, to, to list. But I would, bo- yeah. I would boil it down in this sense. Like it's not like, f- first of all, Zoom's a brilliant product and it's really well engineered, but it was designed to let people talk with each other, right? And mm-hmm. as people who are listening to this podcast would notice, you and I aren't talking at the same time, right? At least right. not intentionally. Right. And if we do, it makes a mess of things. Good point. So the- It's asynchronous, even though it's synchronous. Correct. And so... So there are features built in to enable that. And when I'm talking, typically those things will, you know, dial the other person back and kind of mute them back. So, uh, right. And there's, you know, echo cancellation and there's all kinds of things that are positive features in those products that will completely just destroy a music session. So latency is vastly higher, like not a little bit higher, massively higher on those services. And that's okay because it doesn't disrupt, you know, this kind of a, of a podcast interaction right right but it totally won't work for music um the audio they typically use you know uh, voice codecs rather than music you know audio kinds of codecs um the jam kazam the whole application was architected and designed and built from the ground up for music and so we optimized for latency and audio quality everywhere throughout the entire pipeline and then there's even just there's a there's a zillion features that you need if you're going to play music like you need a mixer, you know, and really everybody needs a personal mixer so that you can take everybody else's voice and instrument and take it up or down wherever you need it to kind of get the right mix for you. Um, mm-hmm. These are things that you just really don't do, you know, on on something like Zoom. A lot more audio features than a, uh, than Zoom. A ton. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Um, before we move on, uh, how do how do how is uh, Jam Kazam optimized for music lessons? How does that work? So most of the people teaching lessons on Jam Kazam today um, actually just get on and set up a private session and invite their student in and use it like anybody else would, right? Um, right. So it's the same as if somebody was jamming, except it's a teacher and a student. That's correct. Um, mm-hmm. And they can share things like, you know, sheet music or something if you wanted to give some, you know, guitar tabs or, you know, if you're teaching keys, if you wanted to provide some actual sheet music or something to your student, you could. You can open backing tracks and have, you know, have your student kind of play along with those. You can do all kinds of stuff like that. So there's a lot of things that are that just makes sense, you know, from the general nature of the product that support that. We also built a market, a services marketplace for music lessons, um, but haven't really pushed that. So we're kind of sitting on that because we're, to, to be blunt, we're trying to figure out what the best way is to approach the music lesson marketplace. And there's different, there's different segments that, that have very different requirements. And we're kind of eyeballing that and trying to figure out what to do with it. There's K to 12, there's adult lessons, there's universities, you know, it's, it's, it's complicated. It's a huge, huge market, but it's definitely complicated. So you mentioned this briefly, but how, how have things been since the, the COVID-19 lockdown hit? What, what, what have you seen that's changed and how's it different from pre-COVID? You know, I, I think 
COVID really, you know, we had we had a bunch of folks just playing on this thing forever. Um, COVID really just kind of amplified that. It it amplified the pain, right? And hmm. it, and thus it also amp- I think amplified the interest and the motivation for more musicians to try this. I think, uh, you know, we think this is really cool, and a bunch of our you know kind of core community has thought it's really cool for a while. Um, but like all things, it's very different, right? It's new and it's different and behavioral change, getting people to try doing something a new way is just never easy. And we've never really had a marketing budget to try to let people know about it and try to encourage them to come in and give it a try. So, you know, COVID has been awful and is awful in almost every way. Um, you know, for us, it has provided, you know, some kind of a benefit in terms of, um, just encouraging people to come in and try it. And, and a lot of the people who've come in and tried it are, you know, are really just in love with it and realize, Oh, wow. Like this doesn't replace the desire to play together in person, of course, but, you know, bands, you know, we hear from people incessantly, you know, about how, you know, brothers who live across the country from each other are playing together, you know, when they couldn't otherwise, and even bands who are in the same town, you know, don't want to have to drive like the time it takes to pack your gear up and drive across town and get in the same place and arrange for some rehearsal space or rent rehearsal space and get all your stuff set up and everything. There's an enormous amount of overhead and just playing together when mm. with this, you can literally like be online in five minutes and playing together like it's right. not more than that. When you're done, you just close your computer and you're done. Like it literally takes all of the friction out of the process of doing it as long as your latency is low enough. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, we've talked on this podcast about, um, how there are new habits being formed right now that there was just wasn't enough pain to even try certain things before. And now people have tried them that even once we're hopefully at some point here (laughs) free to move about and interact with people in person without distance and sometimes masks that we still might do some stuff from these new habits we've picked up. So I'm, I'm sure I'm sure that would be helpful for Jam Kazam. Um, but I'm curious, like, are you talking about like a mild increase in interest or a skyrocketed increase in Jam Kazam since the lockdown? Uh, I'm talking like a hundred X, like literally. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, <laughs> you sounded so calm. I just maybe I haven't. Maybe I'm not talking to you right when that happened, which was probably a month or two ago. But you sound so calm for somebody who's running a company that all of a sudden had a hundred times more users. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm calm, which is by nature. <laughs> so yeah. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time uh, and been through a lot of stuff. So um, so we're we're definitely excited about it, and it's it's you know great to see and it's great to hear all the stories from everybody who is getting so much, you know, joy really out of this mm-hmm. purpose. And hearing all of that is is hugely motivating to us to keep working, you know, even harder at it. Cool. What what's the business model for Jam Kazam? Um, it, it's, uh, it's multifaceted. Um, I think, you know, one of the things, uh, one of the things that we've been waiting on and we're finally about to do, and it coincides with a number of factors is, um, we'll, it's been free to play kind of across the board as much as you want, however you want kind of forever. Uh, but we are going to institute a premium subscription service. And, and honestly, our, our community has been asking us to do that so that we can invest more in it because they want us to keep improving it and keep building it out. Um, so it, strangely, our community has been running um, 
uh, <laughs> unprovoked by us, they've been running surveys amongst themselves, asking each other, <laughs> "Would you? Would you? How much would you pay? Would you pay a premium, a monthly subscription, and how much would you pay?" And then they're sending us the results back. It's kind of hilarious. That's um, pretty cool. Yeah, it is. And uh, you know, again, like we have a great community, and we we love our we love our musicians, and uh, so I think we're going to do that, and it'll be stratified. So there's a free level that continues for everybody, um, but we do some there's some premium things where including a service that we're about to come out with that, uh, that really justify having a premium, uh, premium subscription level. So that, that's one part of the business model. Um, with the, with the broadcast of live performances that we can do, um, there's a, a revenue share model for premium ticketed events there. Um, mm-hmm. we're still working out the model for the music lesson and music education market. We're getting hit up right and left out there right now. So we're trying to sort that out and figure out what that model is, but there is a model there. And then of course, like I mentioned, we have the jam tracks, a kind of digital download model where you can purchase jam tracks and play along with those kind of to your heart's content. Is the jam tracks really the only thing that's you're monetizing at this point? Uh, yep. That historically yeah. has been the only thing, but we do have, we've had all of these other markets kind of on the drawing board for quite a long time. I think we're just finally getting to the point where it makes sense for us to, to kind of prop them up and pull the trigger. Going. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Can you share some success stories that have come out of Jam Kazam? Um, yeah, sure. Um, so they're, they're, gosh, I really should, I should dig back through all of my emails to get to some of them are just amazing. I mean, people have said that we've saved their sanity. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just, you know, if you lose the ability to play music with other people, I mean, and Mm -hmm. think about being a musician, like literally, you know, I think I, I play, but I don't play well, but even, you know, people losing access to their favorite restaurant has been traumatic for some people. I'm really, I'm really traumatized by the lack of being able to go out to live music and just listen to it. And if you're a musician, Mm -hmm. you know, the inability to play is actually a really big deal. Um, so, so that's been big, um, you know, in terms of live broadcast, just since we released that feature, you know, again, about five weeks ago, we've had, uh, have that start to get picked up heavily. We had, um, you know, there's a, a jazz kind of a group up in Victoria, BC that put on a Mother's Day concert and just enabled tipping and generated about $600 in tips from that one performance. There's a, a cover band in Atlanta that we heard from that uh, that did a premium ticketed event and generated uh, like $4,000 in ticket sales. Um, uh, and then we've heard from tons of, you know, just tons of the same thing over again, over and over again, where uh, you know, a member of a band will move to a different city and the band would, would otherwise break up, but they are able to continue to play together, um, over the platform. Um, again, there's just, there's, there's a ton of them. Yeah. Cool. And it sounds like though you guys have been around for a bit, it's really, um, starting to take off now and, and you'll probably hear from more as you add more of those features and more artists find out about you and so forth maybe a little early to start measuring like what's the impact on the bottom line for artists right now, except for the fact that what you're saying is it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a switch that you flip. You either get to keep playing music or not. And that makes a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, I think emotionally that's a huge difference. I think bottom line from an income perspective, you know, artists, as you know, typically rely on multiple income streams to kind of rub them all together into something that makes sense. And I think, um, 
you know, we, we see live concert broadcasts. You know, one of the reasons we tried to get that out quickly is we were hurt. We are hearing from our community about that specific issue and the inability to perform and just the inability to perform and connect with the audience and the inability to perform and monetize, right? Because artists make most of their money from uh, touring and merch anymore. So, um, so I think, I think that's kind of a big deal. Uh, so uh, the ability to, to do that. Um, and we have a, we actually implemented an Eventbrite integration along with the live broadcast service so that uh, you can, you can now as an artist um, uh, sell, sell tickets and, you know, have a private area where people can come and chat and listen to, you know, listen to your concert and you can actually uh, perform, uh, perform and sell tickets again. So, um, so that's a bottom line impact teaching lessons. You know, a lot of musicians uh, teach lessons as an additional revenue stream and they can do that through our platform. And then the jam tracks marketplace for any bands that have, you know, that, that actually create albums and, and publish tracks and songs. Um, they can monetize that through our jam tracks marketplace and let their fans, you know, play along with their songs. You know, those of them who are amateur musicians and those sell for a, a pretty good premium. So, you know, compared to the, to the very small streaming royalties for everybody, but you know, Taylor Swift, um, those actually can be pretty significant revenues for an artist. I mean, is that the level of artists that you have there, uh, that that's contributing to the jam tracks in terms of. Taylor, Taylor Swift? <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Um, we do we do have songs by top artists, but when we when we do those, they're they're kind of high quality sound alikes. So, mm -hmm. gotcha. Um, so, uh, what made you start Jam Kazam? I, I know that's usually the question people ask at the beginning, but I like to start making sure that everybody has a context of what we're talking about because otherwise, why would they care why you started it if if they don't know what it is? But what made you start Jam Kazam? I'm really curious about how you got into this. Well, so interestingly, um, the last company that my co-founders and I did before this one, and my co-founders are a couple of really brilliant guys, Peter Walker and Seth Call, and we had been working on a um, a different kind of a low ultra low latency streaming media business. It was in the video gaming space, and um, and so if you like, if you've heard of uh, like Google Stadia, for example. Um, this was a precursor to that. Um, and we built a company that would let you basically play video games where the video game could be running a high-end video game, like a Call of Duty or something could be running on a computer in a data center, streaming the video and audio of that game to an endpoint device wherever you were and streaming game control signals from your endpoint device back to that game that was executing in that data center and make it happen so fast that it felt like the game was running on your endpoint device. Hmm. So... So that obviously opens up kind of a Netflix instant, you know, on demand play any game, you know, without installing it, without owning it, without owning a console, without doing any of that stuff. Um, and and so we, we sold that company to GameStop. And as we were kind of winding down our time at GameStop, I, um, I was picking up, uh, I, I play a little bit of keys and I was picking up the guitar and my brother at that time uh, was picking up the bass and he lived in Dallas. I lived in Austin and and when we were running games in Dallas that I was playing in Austin, you know, as if, again, as if it was running on my device, even though it wasn't. And I thought, could we do this for music? Like, because I want to be able to play with Doug um, and we're both awful. So it'd be safe. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so could we make, 
could we do for music what we just did for video games? And, you know, video games are fine and they're fun, but I don't really care about them that much. But music I'm passionate about and I care deeply about it. So Hmm. the thought of being able to make it as easy to jump into a session and just play some music for for a half hour with somebody, you know, literally five minutes and you're up and in um, instead of watching a Netflix show or something to me um, was something that could be, you know, truly, you know, startups talk all the time about changing the world for the better, but they, they usually don't really, they're usually kind of just trying to make a bunch of money, but this one felt like something that could fundamentally alter the, you know, music as an art form, you know, in a way that would be, you know, really wonderful. So. Yeah. Makes sense. Cool. Um, what other innovations and trends are you keeping an eye on in, in music tech or, or tech in general? Oh gosh. Um, honestly, not, not a lot. My head feels like it's going to pop off all the time. Like we watch Mm -hmm. things that are adjacent to us. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we watch online DAWs and we watch what the streaming services are doing and, um, like, you know, Spotify and Apple music and things like that. And, um, you know, that's, that's all interesting. Um, there are interesting adjacencies. We're watching, you know, 5g. Cause like you said, we're kind of curious about what that's going to do. And, um, it could be, you know, that could be really meaningful for us. Um, I think one of the things that I'm kind of fascinated about right now is I remember, you know, going back to the video gaming stuff when we were working on that, I remember I was chatting with one of the co-founders of a a streaming company called Justin TV um, that was at the time losing in the general live video broadcasting space to Ustream and YouTube really hadn't, had not even entered the space in any way yet. Um, And they were losing over there. And we were kind of talking about the fact that, um, you know, video gaming as a spectator sport, right. As a form of entertainment, just watching other people play was really interesting and was you could see it was going to blow up right and they were and they were very smart they they actually pivoted that they pivoted justin tv into twitch right and and that became you know a a behemoth um very very quickly um and that that really blew them up in a good way um so i kind of look at i kind of look at this and i see something really similar where i see the ability to take all of the amateur musicians, the hobbyist musicians, the people who just love to play, right? And if you can take all of the friction out of being able to play together and take all the friction out of then being able to share that with other people, it's very Twitch-like and it's like all the other kind of forms of media that have been democratized so that you have um, everybody, like huge swaths of people producing content in addition to consuming it. And I, I really really see that as being a big deal in the music space and something that's going to fundamentally change um, things even for music fans in terms of the ability to just kind of drop around and drop in and out of and see all kinds of different people playing all kinds of different things just at the drop of a hat right that's i mean that's perfect man this has been fun uh david i i i think that's a perfect way to end the episode actually because i think you just painted a picture for the future um of where things seem to be going with more and more independent artists creating music and getting it out there and it not being about perfection or gatekeepers but really being about creativity and engagement and blurring the lines between um performer and audience as well and it sure seems like jam kazam uh is is definitely a player in that space yeah i think so and we're we're really excited about it awesome uh 
if people want to try it out, I guess they can go to jamkazam.com, J-A-M-K-A-Z-A-M, right? That is correct. Are there any other things you want to shout out or resources they should look for or, um, or, or, or did I nail it there? I think you got it. All okay. good. Great. Thanks, David. Appreciate your time. Um, I hope to run into you someday. Uh, may, maybe at South by Southwest if it ever happens again. I don't know. <laughs> I hope it happens. I hope so too. What, are you hearing anything on the streets in Austin? No, the streets are empty in Austin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're empty here too. Okay. Well, thanks again, David. Let's stay in touch. Sounds great. And thanks again for having us, Dimitri. My pleasure. And thank you for listening to the Music Tectonics podcast. Please hit subscribe on your favorite podcasting app or platform. Remember to go to musictectonics.com and sign up for our newsletter. You'll hear about new episodes, but you'll also hear about our weekly Wednesdays, online meetups we do for innovators in the music tech space every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern, and uh, about any other events we do uh, online. And our new app at app.musictectonics.com is a community app where you can meet other folks, uh, other innovators, investors, labels, managers, and so forth. Thanks so much for listening. You're listening to Music Tectonics.